The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Well, we're in Genesis chapter 20. We're going backwards. Uh, November, late November, um, I was scheduled to be up and we were going to look at this text right before we dove into our Advent series. And at about 5 p.m. on Saturday, after fighting a, um, something respiratory all week, I realized I, I can't breathe. And uh, I couldn't talk. And if I tried to talk, I coughed. And so I thought, I, there's no way I can preach. And I, um, I called Danny Cunningham because I just knew Danny, if I ask him, he'll step in and he'll do great. And he did. Um, but just when we do that, we kind of have license to go a different direction. And he looked at the text and said, no, Chase, you, you preach this. I'm going to do something else. And so I did that. He did that and I did that. And I was at the men's conference yesterday and someone said, what are you going to talk about tomorrow? And I, I said, I'm going to talk about failed masculinity. <laughs> and they said, you're going to do that with all the men gone? And I said, well, not all the men are gone. There'll be plenty of men there and the ladies are going to love it. So we'll be fine, right? So we're going to go backwards into Genesis 20 and talk about failed masculinity. This guy's name is Anselm Bourne. You may not know who he is, but you probably know who Jason Bourne is. Jason Bourne's this character. He's an assassin for the U.S. government, and he forgets who he is. He doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know his true identity. There's actually, a, there was an article this week. There's a new Jason Bourne movie coming out starring Kirk Cameron. It's called Born Again. Should be really, really good. See, Anselm Bourne is not a fictional character, neither is his neckbeard fictional. He's a real live guy that lived in the 19th century, and he was a, a preacher from Rhode Island. But in March of 1887, he ended up in Pennsylvania, and he didn't know how he got there, and he didn't know who he was. So he assumed the name A.J. Brown, which is a nice enough name, I guess. And he started working. And for nine months, he suffered from what is called disassociative fugitive disorder. And the way it's described in a medical journal is it's a type of psychogenic amnesia that's not the result of injury or disease and during which the person functions normally but does not recall their identity. I just thought that was odd because if you don't know who you are, you are by nature not functioning normally, right? Can you imagine what that must have been like for his family, though? For nine months, he's gone. They have no idea where he is or what has happened. Major impact on their lives as well as his because he forgot who he was. And in Genesis chapter 20, Abraham forgets who he is. He's the father of many nations, and God has spoken to him and in multiple times, various ways, he's seen God rescue him and his family from a king. He was circumcised in his late 90s. He surely remembered that. He saw fire rain down from heaven in judgment, and he's been given a new name, and still, still he forgets who he is. So let's read Genesis 20, about the first seven verses, and then we'll continue on in the chapter as we go on. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned to Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. 
But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister and she herself said, he is my brother in the integrity of my heart and in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return, to, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. God, as I, as I read this, uh, I just think about all the days that I've lacked faith, that I've doubted you, that I've tried to make my own way. And, and when I do, how miserably that ends. And then, Lord, I think uh, about all the days that seem like good days when I'm tracking with you and I either take for granted or just don't even realize that it's you who's keeping me from sinning. For surely, if I'm kept from it, it's not by my own power, it's you. And so, God, as we look at this lesson in failed masculinity, Lack of trust in the Lord, God. Help us also to look with hope at the God who can keep us from stumbling. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, this chapter starts out with Abraham's lack of faith. He's just not trusting the Lord. They go to Gerar, and like he said in Egypt, he says of Sarah, she is my sister. And we're told later in the chapter that this is a, it says it's a kindness. He says, I've asked this kindness of her. Now, I thought about that, and I thought about some things I've asked Laura for that are kindnesses. Hey, I'm running late for work. Could you please take my jacket to the cleaners? I just completely forgot, and I'm not gonna make it today, and I've got this to do. Or if it's a special occasion, she says, I'll cook, what, cook something special. What do you, what do you want? She cooks all the time, but it's like if she's cooking for a special occasion, she loves cooking, she's amazing at it. Oh, I would love some poppy seed chicken, right? And she just crushes that. I will hurt myself on that stuff. Never really occurred to me in a dangerous situation to go, hey, would you tell them you're my sister instead of my wife so that they won't kill me? As we read this just over and over, as we've talked about it throughout the series, it's just insane. And here... Here's what has happened. Abraham, through his actions, is showing that he is abandoning his identity and relinquishing his responsibility. He's abandoning his identity as the father of many nations, the man through whom God will bring the children of promise. He's abandoned his identity. He doesn't believe he's Abraham, father of many nations, and he doesn't believe that God can act on his behalf. And then he's relinquished his responsibility. He's not standing up for the sake of those he's called to love and lead. Instead, he's trying to live in self-preservation. And when we 
do this. It's just failure. It's just failure. And that's what happens, and so God intervenes. God intervenes. God intervenes by coming to this man, Abimelech, and he says, behold, verse three, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you've taken, for she is a man's wife. Can you imagine the terror of God coming to you in a dream and saying, you're a dead man? Just the sheer terror of this. You're a dead man because you've taken this woman who's another man's wife and Abimelech had not approached her so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? This is an interesting question. It reminds me of this moment when Abraham is praying for Lot. He's praying for Sodom and says, God, will you kill the righteous along with the wicked? Early on in scripture, there are these questions about the justice of God. God, will you kill an innocent people? But we know the story. That's why we've got to read the story and we've got to understand the the story of Abraham is not isolated. It's part of this whole story in which God doesn't kill the innocent. He sends the innocent to die for the unrighteous. That is the story. Will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say, she is my sister, and she herself said, he is my brother, and the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I've done this. Then God said, yes, I know. I know that you've done this in the integrity of your heart, And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. I love this verse because in this verse, we see two beautiful truths about God, two beautiful doctrines about God that we do not want to miss. The first is his omniscience. He knows everything. His omniscience is his all-knowingness. And his omniscience or all-knowingness protects Abimelech. But it's not just that he knew It's not just his omniscience, it's his omnipotence, his all-powerfulness. It was I who kept you from sinning. God's all-knowingness or his omniscience, his all-powerfulness, his omnipotence, protect Abimelech who's acted in ignorance and innocence in the integrity of his heart. We want a God who knows and who's powerful. And that's the God that we serve. He's all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present. And we ought to be grateful. Yes, I know. Yes, I know. If we stop and think for a moment, there are moments in life that you can look back to and you can think, man, the Lord kept me from sinning right there. And the way you know is because you didn't sin in a moment you were tempted to. There are all these moments that we can look back to and go, man, God, God was so gracious there. I was just being a fool and he was so gracious there. But then there are all these other moments that I would submit to you today are far more numerous when we had no idea how the Lord was protecting us from ourselves, keeping us from sinning. That's what he does with Abimelech. That's what he does with Abimelech. Yes, I know. It was I who kept you from sinning. See, the beautiful thing about this story is not that Abraham has forgotten who he is, it's that God hasn't forgotten who he is. 
He hadn't forgotten it in Genesis 20 and he hasn't forgotten it today. God has not forgotten who he is. He's not forgotten his promise. He's not forgotten his purpose and he is going to make Abraham in spite of himself the father of many nations. So Abimelech does what God says. Abimelech rose early in the morning and called his servants and told them all these things and the men were very much afraid. They were walking in the fear of the Lord and Abimelech called Abraham and said, what have you done to us? See, Abraham's sin is affecting those around him. How have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom this great sin? See, all, we'll read further, all the ladies, all the servants as well in the house of Abimelech, their wombs had been closed because of Abraham's sin. How have you done this? What did I do to you? What did you see that you did this thing? Why in the world? Can you imagine Abimelech? I mean, he responds so well. He, re- he gets up and he goes. God says, go to him and he'll pray for you and you'll be healed. And Abimelech's going, you're gonna hear the prayers of this guy? And God does. God does hear Abraham's prayer. But Abimelech's question brings out a truth that we often forget. We have a tendency to grossly underestimate the collateral damage of our own sin. All humanity, for all time and in every culture, we have a tendency to grossly underestimate the collateral damage of my own sin or our own sin. We'll think this is gonna be fine. It won't be a big deal. No one will know. It's not gonna impact others. Turn to Genesis chapter 26, just real quickly, or or look there in your app. See, Abimelech says, you've brought this on my whole kingdom. Your sin affects others. It just does. My sin affects others. It just does. There's no getting around it. And we need to be aware of it. Genesis 26, many years later, Abraham's son Isaac is in this very place, Gerar, meeting with this very man, Abimelech, verse six. So Isaac settled in Gerar, verse seven, when the men of the place asked about his wife, guess what he said? He said, she's my sister, for he feared to say my wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebecca. Now here's what's crazy about this. Just before this, God has told Isaac, sojourn in this land and I will be with you and bless you for to you and your offspring, I will give all these lands and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands and in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes and my laws. Does that sound familiar at all? See, the sins of the fathers is visited on the children and you can look throughout history and see that angry people tend to have angry children. Broken people tend to have broken children. Deceptive people tend to have deceptive children. The sins of the fathers is visited on the children. Last week in Genesis 22, we saw how Abraham's faith would eventually triumph in Isaac's life and it will but we also see that his sin is not without consequence. So Abraham, Abraham says, I did this. I did this because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. 
Abraham thought, they don't fear the Lord, they're gonna kill me, but Abraham himself actually wasn't walking in the fear of the Lord. I did this because I thought they'll kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister and daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. When God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said, this is the kindness you must do at every place, say, he's my brother. They're just gonna tell one little, small, insignificant, half-truth, white lie. I'm sure that won't cause any problems anywhere. But it just does. It just does. And so let me ask you a question I've been asking myself all week long. What foolishness have you done because you didn't believe God could care for you? I don't even want to give you an answer for me. There's just so much, so many times, so many days where I doubt the goodness, I doubt the ability, I doubt the power of God. What foolishness have you done? Maybe what foolishness are you doing? Because you don't believe God can satisfy your deepest needs and deepest longings. See, the good news in this story, though, is that the God of Abraham is still going to act to keep his promise by his grace and to accomplish his purpose for his glory. So the Lord shows himself again as the one who is strong enough and who loves enough to hear the cries of his people. Verse 14 Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned to Sarah, his wife. And Abimelech said, behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. Almost just like Abraham would tell Lot chapters before. To Sarah, he said, behold, the most sarcastic line in all of scripture, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. And he says, it's a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you and before everyone you are vindicated. That's Sarah, before everyone you're vindicated. We're gonna come back to that for just a moment. Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female servants so that they bore children for the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah Abraham's wife. Now, one of the things that just sounded as a side note, but that matters in in our culture and in many cultures, what is said of Christianity and what is said of the scripture is that this book demeans women, that it doesn't care about women. And it's just not true. Now, do we sometimes speak and act in ways that don't honor the Lord and honor women? Yes, but not this book. That's not the Christian story. In fact, the earliest book written was the book of Job chronologically. Earliest book written, and at the end of the book of Job, Job, God is restoring things to him, and it says God gave Job seven more sons and three more daughters. And what would normally happen in an ancient text is that the names of those sons would be recorded and their inheritance would be recorded. But in the book of Job, it doesn't name his sons, but it names his three daughters. And then it says, and he gave them an inheritance among their brothers, which would have been unheard of in the ancient Near East. And here, Abimelech says to Sarah, I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver as a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone, you are vindicated. This book cares deeply about men and women. So this is a story of failed masculinity. 
And it's not just rooted in Abraham's sin, it's rooted in Adam's sin. When Adam and Eve believed the lie and Adam stood silent, he didn't speak up, he didn't step out. The reason that we know that this is an exercise in failed masculinity is because masculinity biblically is sacrificial responsibility for the sake of others. See, Adam and Eve, Adam made from the dust of the earth and Eve made from Adam, had a mandate to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then, even though Adam and Eve had no father or mother, in Genesis chapter two, in that creation account, we're told that for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. There's this thing in the creation story that God wants to do, male plus female, and men and women to spread his image over all the earth. And so what that means for men is that we live in sacrificial responsibility for the sake of others. How do we know that biblical masculinity is sacrificial responsibility for the sake of others? We know that because Jesus himself defines what it means to be a man. And that's what Jesus did. See, Jesus is not to blame for your sins and my sins, but Jesus took responsibility for your sins and my sins. And he did it at the cost of his life. Biblical masculinity, by definition, is sacrificial responsibility for the sake of others, and Abraham failed. And often we do too. So what do we do? What do we do? And here's where we dive into application. What do we do? There are kind of two answers that you can go with. You can look at the history of failed masculinity, whether that be a masculinity that doesn't step up into responsibility, that never works, that never produces anything with life, or whether that's a masculinity that is full of arrogance and glorifies violence and harshness. One of the options is just to say, man, just step aside. Just go sit down, just get out of the way. That's an option, but I don't think it's a good option, and I'll tell you why I don't think it's a good option, because it's not a redemptive option, and this book is a redemptive book. See, the second Adam came and did what the first Adam couldn't do. Jesus shows us what it means to be a man, and so he helps us understand what it means to be redeemed men. And I'm gonna tell you a way that I think that we are missing out on this right now in culture. We started doing something 20 to 30 years ago. We started saying to young people, you need to wait until you're responsible to get married. And hear me, there's a, there's a, there are passages in Scripture, 1 Corinthians, it, it speaks about the gift of singleness and it speaks about how if you are single for the mission of God, that's a beautiful thing to do. But the overwhelming trajectory of Scripture speaks about marriage, this male plus female thing that God is doing in the world, even in Ephesians 5, when Paul is speaking to husbands and wives about loving and respecting one another. He says, listen, I'm not even talking about marriage. Actually, I'm talking about Christ and the church. This is about what God is doing in the world. And so one of the things we've done is we've said, wait till you're responsible to get married. So people have waited and gotten older and older and older. 
And really kind of what we have done is when people are between about 19 and 29, the strongest time for their sex drives in their life, can I say sex drive in church? Sorry. We've said don't get married, which is just really not a great idea. And Ben Stewart was, was talking about this in his church. Ben Stewart did our men's conference last year. He's pastor of Passion City Church in D.C., he said, I will have guys come up to me that they have got life together, 25, 26, 27 years old. They might be in the FBI, in the CIA, in the DEA, maybe they're BFFs, I don't know. But they'll come, they've got life together, and they'll walk up to him and say, hey, hey Ben, I've got a question. So are you saying to me, like if there's a girl who loves Jesus, and we get along well, I'm attracted to her, it's okay for me just to walk up to her and say, will you go out with me? Yes! That's not just a good thing, it's a beautiful thing. Now, listen, here, here's the thing. Is culture different today? Yeah, culture is different today, but we don't get our moorings from culture. And one of the ways the church is so distinct or ought to be so distinct from culture as it has been throughout history is that we believe marriage is not a burden. And we believe children are not just not burdens. They are blessings from the Lord. That's either true or it's not. God's right or he's wrong. And so this just might sound crazy, but what I would say is one of the things that young men need to do is find somebody that you can love and lay your life down for the rest of your life and marry them and love them imperfectly and let them love you imperfectly. Have kids if God gives them and spread the image of God over all the world. I think the story of scripture points us to do that. I think it invites us into that and I think it is a beautiful thing. And by the way, at TBC, that happens. That happens. I look at young men, this audience, an audience last hour, I look at young ladies they're married to and I see the beautiful thing they're doing. I think Shannon Sword is doing something like 40 weddings this year. It's a lovely thing. Chapels in Vegas have started to call because he's cutting into their business. <laughs> but we see, we want that. We want the image of God spread over the earth through these pictures of Christ in the church that comes in marriage, this rooted in creation thing. Now, see, some would say, no, think differently about men and think differently about Abraham, but I think Abraham is called to love and serve and lead, and he falls short of that, and in spite of that, God makes him the father of many nations. So you, you might hear this and you think, yeah, but people have to get ready to be married. And I'm sure, men, I'm sure your wives would nod yes. The great majority of you, I mean, you were really ready when y'all got married. At least a couple days in, you're, you're good, right? L Laura would say for me, it might have taken more than t like two or three weeks maybe, you know. And I've been an amazing leader since then. Amazing kind, you know, that's what she would say. Actually, three weeks into marriage, I will, I'll never forget. I come home and, and I'm bringing him flowers to Laura and for some reason, she's not amazed at what I've done. I really thought I'd kind of hung the moon that day, right? And I realized after a conversation, what she was upset about is we had a simple misunderstanding about what the lid of the trash can was for. 
See, flat trash can lid, I thought that it was to stack more trash on, right? It just makes sense. There's room, it'll go up a little bit. She thought when the lid wouldn't close, you were supposed to take the bag out and take the trash out. So we rectified that situation and, and I came to her understanding, right? <laughs> See, we, we say we've been married 20 years. We've had 19 years of wedded bliss and 20 if you count the first one. But in spite in spite of who I was, and in spite of who I am today, God, by his grace, he's just kept us. Loving him and loving one another just a bit more as the years go by, by his grace, men, we're called to love and to serve and to lead, and we're not gonna do it perfectly, but we're gonna do it by God's grace. We're gonna do it by God's grace. See, at the end of this chapter, there's this word that I hate and I love at the beginning of verse 17. It's the word then. Then, after all this folly and foolishness, Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female servants so that they bore children for the Lord had closed all their wombs. Now, the beautiful thing about it is in spite of him, God answered his prayer that he prayed then. The problem is that he prayed the prayer then. It would be nice to be able to talk to Abraham and just say, hey man, you think it might have been a better idea to pray at the beginning of chapter 20? Maybe before you schemed, you should have asked God to help you and protect you and trust him. He just started a little bit late. I started doing something a little bit late this week. I, I've been praying since they were born for my children's spouses. I just don't do it in front of them. I pray for them every night before they go to bed, pray with them, but then Laura and I privately, or me privately and she privately, we pray for the, the people they might come to know and love and marry. And I, as I thought about this, I thought, you know, I'm gonna do this out loud. I'm gonna pray in front of my boys for their spouses. And so four and six-year-old, they stay in the same room and I, Prayed for them and then I went when it was time for our nine-year-old to go to sleep and uh, I'm praying all kinds of things for him. In the prayer with this, God, would you have your hand on him and God, would you make him into a man who can love well and serve well and lead well and God, would you prepare a little girl for my son? Would you raise her up to know and love Jesus and follow Jesus and would you cause them to love one another and God, grant them to be married and to have kids and to bless and honor your name and I uh, amen, and I look, and he's kind of raised up, leaning on his bed, and he goes, uh, where did that come from? <laughs> and so I said, buddy, I've been praying for your spouse since you came home with us, and he goes, could you do that away from me? <laughs> I said, yeah, I can, I can do that. That's okay. I can do that. So I started late. I think I'm gonna keep doing it. It's just so entertaining, and I think it's good for those young men to hear it. See, here's the beautiful thing about our God who hasn't forgotten who he is. He's a God who can sanctify us completely. Paul said to the Thessalonians, now may the God of peace, that's the God of peace who made peace with us through the death of his son Jesus and his resurrection, may he, the God who kept Abimelech from sinning, may he, 
sanctify you completely and your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, stated another way in the book of Jude, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. This God can keep us from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. He's the God who reminds us who we are. Near the end of my time in college, my grandfather was about to pass away. His name was Emmett Evander Hippler. What a name. And he was in his 80s and about the last nine, 10 months of his life, he struggled pretty significantly with dementia and other things and he ended up in a small nursing facility in the Piney Woods of East Texas. And some days, just coming home from college, I would... I'd pull in and stop to visit him, and it was hard. But then I thought, well, he doesn't know who he is. I mean, I just, I'm going to make the most of it, you know. And so, one of our last conversations, um, I pulled in this facility, and I I walked in, and there is my papa, is what we call him. There's papa sitting, um, eating a meal early afternoon, and he's looking out a window, just staring out the window. And I I knew he didn't know me, so I came up and just said, Mr. Hippler, you mind if I sit down with you? And he looked up at me and he goes, well, you're Dutch Bowers, boy. I said, yes, sir, I am. He knew I was my father's son, but he didn't connect the dots that I was his grandson. And I said, what are you up to today? And he said, oh, I'm just sitting here fishing, trying to catch a bass by that log. You want to fish with me? Well, I, I love to fish, right? So I said, yeah, I'll fish with you. So we're sitting and... I'm sitting there pretending like I'm fishing with him and we're just talking, talking, talking and out of nowhere, just instantly, he looked over at me and he goes, Chase, you want something to eat? I'm just sitting here eating without you. I said, no, no, I'm, I'm good, I'm fine. And I was really taken aback and he said, how's college going? I said, oh, this is going great, thanks for asking. My classes are going really, really well. You know what they call people who get C's in college graduates, right? So college was going well that semester. And then he, he said, hey, you getting to preach any son? I said, yeah, I am a little bit and I'm, I'm enjoying that. And we just talked for a little bit and had the greatest conversation. And the reason we had the greatest conversation is because this guy who had forgotten who he was remembered who he was. See, just like, just like Abraham forgetting who he is had an impact on those around him and for generations, when we remember who we are in Christ, we can impact those around us and we can have an impact on generations when we rise up in sacrificial responsibility for the sake of others. That's really not just what men do, that's what the church does in Christ. So God, would you help us to remember that though we were dead in sin, you've made us alive together in Christ and you've seated us. You've seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come, you might show the surpassing riches of your kindness to us in Christ. You've made us the children of Abraham, children of this promise through our faith in Christ and your word even says that you chose us in him before the foundation of the world to receive adoption as sons. And that through Jesus, we have redemption by his blood. And we have an inheritance. And you've sent your spirit and put your spirit inside us as a guarantee so that we might know who we are. And that we might live lives by faith as children of the king. 
So help us too, Father, we need you. Remind us who we are in Jesus' name. Amen, and you're dismissed.